Now we finish the first chapter. Just as a reminder, we're only going to go through the first nine chapters, it looks like. But these nine chapters will really help set up how we are to use the rest of the book of Proverbs. And I would also say that this morning's text, this portion, it also tells us how are we to use the rest of the scriptures. Because Solomon, as he's putting these Proverbs together, some are from his own mouth, his own pen, some of them he has collected from other people. As he's putting these together and he's presenting it to his son, saying, son, you're going to rule the greatest, most powerful, most wealthy kingdom yet known in the history of humanity. You're going to rule them. I want you to know these things. He's not doing it just in a void. He is doing it with an understanding of all that have gone before him. The Psalms that his father had written, the stories of Genesis and the Pentateuch, all of those things, Judges, Joshua, all of that is is in his mind. Son, how are you going to use all of the scriptures to make you wise? And so the first week, we took those first eight verses and, and we pulled that verse seven and we said this really is kind of the overarching context and message of these first nine chapters. Son, you would fear the Lord because it's the beginning, it is the source, it is the fountain of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And, um, and so that's kind of our overarching theme, the idea that a, that a loving father is bestowing upon his child all that is important for him to know to thrive. Now, um, we also talked briefly about the epistemological questions. Epistemology, the study of knowledge. And um, you no doubt have been in arguments with people. And you've been in an argument where you're absolutely certain that what you think is right is right. And that other person is absolutely certain that what they think is right is right. And you're, and you're just like at this impasse. And then you go to Wikipedia. Now, I had a friend who was arguing with his wife. And, and uh, they were arguing in a distance. And he actually went and made a Wikipedia page to prove his point. So that when she came back, it would show. He's like, let's, look, let's see what Wikipedia says. Uh, and then about three days later, it got taken down by Wikipedia because uh, they fact-checked it and he wasn't right. <laughs> but you've been in those situations. Probably you've been in those situations where you're certain you're right. And then you realize you're not. And, and, and you take a step back and you think, man, I was so certain. And I don't know what to do now. What about the other things that I'm certain of? Think about it this way. If you're going to have a political discussion with a person and you're, you're, you're hoping to get along with that person, are you going to treat someone who listens to Fox News different than someone who listens to MSNBC? You are, aren't you? Because you're going to think, okay, what this person has been fed... What they believe, what they think is right, has come from a source that's probably different from what this person has heard and believed and and, and thinks is right and true, right? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, if you're smart, you're going to say, okay, we're not going to just come to the table and agree on maybe anything, right? Because the epistemology, their theory of knowledge, and is it a crisis in our world? It's such a crisis in our world. It's really, really hard to know what is right and what is true. Just think about the pandemic. Like one of the hardest things that we pastors have gone through, and some of them that I mentor, that I know, is how has your church responded? And, and one of the hardest things for pastors to see is brothers and sisters in Christ who made a vow to help nurture a child. That's such division. Over should we wear a mask? Should we be vaccinated? Should we keep six feet away? Should we? Such division. And so here in Proverbs, and the heart of these first nine chapters, is this epistemological pretext that you will, my son, find your knowledge. You will find true truth from God. That will be the source. So if you think about it, Um, The next stage in Proverbs 1 was him telling my son in verse 15, don't walk in the way of the crowd, of the gang. 
that, that, that say to you, son, hey, let's go. We're going to go rob these people. We're going to make money easy. We're not going to have to work as hard. We're going to get things the easy way. My son, don't listen to them. What is he saying? Son, as you go on your path of life, you will have all different sources of knowledge that will come to you. Be so careful which ones you receive. How do you receive knowledge? How are you sure or certain of anything? Well, it could be the crowd, as he's already talked about in verse 15. You might be certain of things because of the way you feel. Probably at some point all of us get to that. Like, I know this is true because I just feel it is true. Or, I know it's true because my experience. And let me tell you, your experience when you go to Chicken Ellis might be different than my experience when I go to Chicken Ellis. I feel like a kind of celeb when I go to Chicken Ellis. It's like, hey, Mark, hey, Mark, what's going on? They may not treat you like that. Your experience, though it has a part of how you know things, shouldn't be trusted alone. In fact, R.C. Sproul, uh, the late R.C. Sproul, says one of the most dangerous things you can do as a Christian is determine your theology by your experience. Certainly, it's part of how we know things. Uh, we know things by uh, the testimony of others in our society. Victims will speak. They'll speak down to oppressors, and sometimes the victim uh, it has such empowerment that, that the oppressor has no voice at all. Um, or who the, the alleged professor, the alleged victim. Um, others will speak. It's important for us to know when others speak to us, isn't it? Well, should I trust this person? Should I listen to them? Sometimes their experience, sometimes the letters behind their name. There's other things that speak into our epistemological um, grid. Books. What books do you read? Websites. Social media. We all think we're immune to it. We're not. We all think it may not have an effect on us. We just go through and we can't believe how many people are consumed with it while we're going through and being consumed with it. TV. Celebrities. Why do celebrities speak? You know why celebrities speak? Because people listen to them. They have a voice because we listen to them. Scientists? Sure. All of these have some degree of merit, but a Christian has above it all the Word of God. And, we, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use any of those things. We should be aware of all of those things. We should listen to all of those things. But above them all, the writer says, the fear of the Lord has to be at the top. Before we did Proverbs, we studied through Hebrews. Remember the beginning of Hebrews? He says, in these last days, the writer is saying, you've got the prophets that have gone before you. You've had angels that have gone before you. You've had all these things that have gone before you. But in these last days, he says, he's spoken by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So for a Christian... Our epistemological questions must be answered by the Word. And here's the danger. The evangelical church today may be the most biblically illiterate culture of Christians that's ever been on the planet. We live by sound bites. The confession that Jason read, we, 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 we listen to the things that our ear wants to hear. We find ourselves drawn. I, I like this message. And the whole grid of our decisions doesn't become, how does this fit in with what our God is saying? Do they connect with me? Do they have something for my kids? Um, but for us, for the people of God, His Word, His Spirit, and His Son, superior to all things. And so what we have in this closing portion of chapter 1, we have, in a sense, a sermon delivered by Lady Wisdom. And uh, we see this in Proverbs uh, concepts are personified. And so in the text we read, it's as if uh, the dad is saying, son, I want you to listen to Lady Wisdom. Uh, I want you to hear her words. I want you to follow her. And it's a way for us to understand um, Lady Wisdom. So that's what we have here in verse 20. This is God's Word 
Proverbs 1, 20 to 33. Please stand if you're able. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. As Jason said this morning in our call to confession, this text is primarily about our attitude towards correction. Our attitude towards being corrected. And even before we start, I want you to think about that. When is the last time that someone or something has come to you and said, I don't think the way you're doing this is right. I think you owe so-and-so an apology. I think you owe me an apology. When is the last time that someone has corrected you? And as Jason said, is your normal response... To, to pull back and say, no, 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 I'm not nearly as bad as you think. Uh, this only happened because of this, because of that, because of this, or because you did that. I bit him because he bit me. <laughs> is that your response? Here, Lady Wisdom is saying, oh, please, simple ones, please listen to my correction. That was the quote this morning in preparation. We've become a society that has equated love with acceptance. Acceptance not just of the person, which is fine, but of all that person believes and does and represents. If you love me, you accept all of my decisions and all of my behavior. We have become a society that says to correct someone is hate. To point out what is wrong and broken is hate. And here, Lady Wisdom is saying, oh, simple-minded ones. I put the term gullible in there. It's probably too sweet a term. Because <laughs> gullible kind of has that sense that it's just a sweet idiot. You know, just a sweet idiot. I, I, I just haven't had the opportunity to learn. Um, and just, you know, give me a break. I didn't know. Um, it, it, it's not really that sweet in this text. Wisdom is saying, listen to me. And so think about how you respond to correction. And, and especially Christian rebuke, biblical rebuke, it really does show the level that you believe the good news of Jesus Christ. To the extent that you believe the good news of Jesus Christ, this good news, the gospel being, I am not accepted because I've performed well. I am not accepted because I've obeyed his rules ever since I was baptized. I'm not accepted because I'm above average. I am accepted because Christ has forgiven me and he's wrapped his arms around me and he says, you are mine. My righteousness has become yours in the courtroom of God. You are not just not guilty. You're beloved. You're adopted. You belong to me. Not because you earned it. 
Not because you were a good son. In fact, you are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted person, and you have turned from your sins, and you have run to me in desperation, and you have been received. If we believe that gospel, and you must have it at the core of your, your heart, it's something you've got to keep fighting to hold close to yourself. If, if you believe that gospel, then when a brother or sister rebukes you, when the Word of God calls you to account, you're not terrified. They're saying, I don't know the Lord. They're saying, I may not go to heaven. No, no, not at all. They're saying, you're so loved by God that He has sent me, that He has sent His Word, that He has sent His Spirit to point out what is wrong, where you need to grow, where you need to mature. That's why the gospel must be a part of this. How do you respond when someone rebukes you? Well, I would say it, it is who or what rebukes you, right? You get rebuked by a, a crazy driver on the interstate, you probably don't lose sleep. You get rebuked by the one you hold closest to your heart, by the human being that means the most to you. How do you respond to that? You get rebuked. Well, what behavior are they rebuking? All of those things play into it. But for the Christian, a wise person, a wise Christian, is not only a person that accepts correction, but because they believe the gospel, and the blessings of the gospel, they actually seek correction. They actually welcome it. Now, I just tell you, that's probably my greatest shortcoming as a pastor. I struggle with it all the time. I, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to be happy that I'm their pastor. And I find it very difficult to rebuke because sometimes people don't like it. Most of the time, people don't like it. And if you pray for your pastor, you can pray in that area. It's a weakness of mine. And I bring it before the Lord. I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me gently rebuke. And I think part of the other reason it's hard for me is it's hard for me to rebuke someone without feeling self-righteous. Do you know what I mean by that? Because, because whatever I point out, whatever the word points out, it's also pointing out in me. <laughs> you know? and, and, and so sometimes it, it can come across as, Listen, I've defeated this terrible idol of whatever, and I'm going to help you. As opposed to, I'm someone that's wrestled with this, and I think you're wrestling with it too. Let us bring this to the Father together. Let us talk through these things together. You know, we start small groups up in the mid, middle of September. That's part of what it's going to be. It's going to be hard. We're inviting other people. Inviting other people into the closeness of our lives. What we'd like to hide from everybody else, we're inviting other people into that. And the gospel tells us that that, that, that brings wisdom. That brings growth. It brings maturity. And so Christian, it, it's not just accepting it, but it's actually saying, I seek it. I seek it. Again, in couples counseling, I, I tell a couple, I'm like, it's like you're saying, hey, we're about to get married. Um, by the way, when we're married... I really want you to tell me all the things that bother you about me. I'm expecting you to do that. And by the way, honey, do you know that, that I'm going to do that to you? Do you know that we're going to be so close that, that there'll be things that you're unaware of that I'm going to see in you? And when I tell it to you, our love is not at stake. When I point it out or when it becomes evident or becomes obvious, our love is not at stake. I'm pointing it out because I love you. Pointing out that you might be freed from this. And so we see this in three ways. In the text, I've broken it down in three parts. The first is wisdom's call. Wisdom's call to the gullible. And the second part is uh, uh, the wisdom's laughing or mocking or uh, rebuking the gullible. And then the third would be uh, wisdom's judgment of the gullible. So the first, three, first four verses, 20 to 23... Wisdom's call to the gullible. Uh, K.T. Eitken says, Lady Wisdom is no gentle persuader. I like this. She shouts, pleads, reasons, threatens, warns, and even laughs. Pulpit bashing and hellfire preaching, if ever there were. All quite unladylike, and nowadays also quite unfashionable, even frowned upon. She is a tough teacher. Now, I wish you guys knew my kids better, but my boys, man, I was always like, boys, please learn this verbally. Please learn this from me. 
Tammy and Kay will laugh, especially in things with driving. I lost my license when I was dating Tammy. So I'm like, boys, don't drive like I did when I was 16, 17, 18. Don't do it. Your insurance goes up. Everything, it, it, it's terrible. Don't do it. I remember one time I was getting mad at one of them, and I think Kay or Tammy are like, well, you know who their dad is, don't you? Like, but wisdom is a tougher teacher. Remember one, I'm like, hey, you're following too close, you're following too close, you're following too close. Yeah, Dad, I know, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Hey, Dad, I just rear-ended a BMW. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Dad, you're right. I, I hate being right. At this moment, I hate being right. Um, and so wisdom calls to the gullible, cries out. And in our text, it's as if wisdom is, it's almost like wisdom is ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere, right? In our text, and this is the reason I say that he's really setting up a use for the rest of the scriptures. In our text, it, it says uh, she calls out, not just from the temple, she calls aloud in the streets, in the markets, at the head of the noisy streets, at the entrance of the city gates, she cries out, she speaks. Solomon is saying, son, the wisdom of everything necessary for thriving humanity comes from God. It's not just moral law. Our God gives instruction in his word about governments, about relationships, about employees, about business, about marketing, about how to deal with the poor, how to deal with the wealthy, how to deal with those who've been treated unjustly. Wisdom is given by God to all of those areas. It is a beautiful thing that wisdom speaks to us in all of these things. In the governing of the world, it is as though it is ubiquitous everywhere. And it calls also to every one. God's wisdom is available to every one. There seems to be a progression here um, as he is addressing the gullible. He starts off with the simple. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? Now, there are some kids that grow up and can't wait for the next stage. It's quite interesting. There's some kids, often it's the oldest, but not always, that, that can't wait for the next stage. I'm ready to do this, I'm ready to do this, I'm ready to do this, I'm ready to do this. You know, I had a son at 16, Dad, I'm ready to get my own apartment. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> Uh, no, you're not. You're, you, there's time for that. There's time to take all of your lawn mowing money and spend it on stuff. But right now is not that time. Uh, and then there are those kids that don't want to. Like, like you might have one in your family. You might have been the one that wasn't excited about getting the driver's license. I had one that was not excited at all about getting his driver's license. We were so excited about getting a driver's license because we're like, oh, that's so great. We won't have to make 14 trips to the school every day. And uh, there's ones like, I, I don't want to drive because then I'm going to be responsible for the car. I'm going to be responsible. I, 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 don't, I don't want it. So uh, here it's saying that the simple ones, they, they kind of love this simplicity because in their mind, they're like, the less I know, the less I'm responsible for. The less that, that, that I've been instructed, you know, when, <laughs> when a parent says, why did you do that? Well, you never told me not to. And I remember my kids saying that, you know, you, you never told me not to. Like, there's a million things I've never told you not to do that you should know not to do. I can't think of every possible dumb thing you would do and forbid it. I didn't know. Here, wisdom is saying, uh, you, you long to be simple. You long to not be responsible. How long will you owe simple ones? When we get older, we've kind of been that person. I, I, don't, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want him to tell me what's wrong with me. I don't want to check my credit report. I don't know how much I owe, and I don't want to know how much I owe. Really don't want anybody to know me that well. I don't want to know the word of God. We see that in the prophets. The people saying, stop speaking to us the word of God. We don't want to hear it anymore. Wisdom calls out to the simple and says, stop, stop delighting and stop burying your head in the sand. And then there's a step from the simple. The next is what we read in the text called scoffers. We don't use that word much anymore, but mockers. People who make fun 
of what is good and what is right, people who really delight in digressing from what is right. I vividly remember high school inviting some of my basketball team to come to one of our youth group meetings. I remember praying for them beforehand, thinking, oh Lord, would you save these guys that I play basketball with that I really enjoy? And several of them took the songs that we sang and they put filthy words to them. So at basketball practice, they would just make fun of me all the time. Take the holy songs of God and add horrible things to them. It seems that that's this progression from simple-minded to actually hating the truth of God. When we study Romans after we get through Proverbs, we see that. We see this digression from God's truth being made known to them, and then they turn against it, and then they delight in turning against it, and then they invite other people to turn against it. Mockers make fun of everything. And it's important to know they're not making just fun of you. They're making fun of our God. They're mocking our God. Wisdom cries out to them. Lastly, the fools. It seems like our writer here goes back to the theme of two types of people. The wise and the foolish. The humble and the proud. Fools hate knowledge. They love to live in ignorance, the writer says. And yet in the midst of this, at verse 3, we have a gospel call. We have verse 23. Scoffers, fools, simple ones. If you turn at my reproof, my correction, my call to repentance, if you turn... I'll pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. I wish we could spend one week just on that verse. What's he saying? Wisdom is saying to you, I am showing the knowledge of God what is righteous and true and pure and holy and I'm showing it to you so that you'll turn to me. If you turn to me, if you humble yourself before me, I send my Holy Spirit to you. Now, here's an interesting thing, again, especially in our little subculture here. When God sends the Spirit, some Christians believe when God sends the Spirit, you don't need the church, you don't need the Word of God, you don't need accountability, you don't need any structures because you have the Holy Spirit. The exact opposite is true. Our text says, I send the Spirit to you. What's the first thing the Spirit does in our text? Helps us understand the Word. That's why we pray for lost people. That's why Christians pray, help me in my unbelief, God. Help make this clear to me. Help me in these struggles. I will send my spirit to you. And here's the wisdom's first call to the gospel. Turn at my correction. Don't make excuses. Don't belittle or mock. Don't put your head in the sand. Own up to your failures. And I'll pour my spirit on you. And you'll, you'll understand my words. And again, I ask you, how do you receive rebuke and correction? Do you hide from it? Do you stay away from people that might make you feel a bit uncomfortable? Or do you turn to the Lord and say, thank you. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your correction. Secondly, wisdom then in verses 24 to 30, it seems very harsh this wisdom laughing at the gullible. But I want you to understand it in this manner. The lex talionis, the eye for an eye, the justice of God, the writer is carefully taking, and in the Hebrew, it's a chiastic structure. And so it's not, you, we don't think that way. Like we always think point one, two, and three. Uh, a lot of the Hebrews teaching would be point one, and then at the bottom would be point one, point two. Um, but here, the, this highlight is, you're getting what you deserve. You who made fun of all of God's wisdom. You who refused to take my hand when I offered it to you. You who laughed at me. See who is laughable now. Right? That's our old idiom, right? He who laughs last, last loudest. He who laughs last, laughs loudest. He who laughs last, laughs best. That's the understanding, right? That's just proverbial wisdom. You might be making fun of me, making fun of me, making fun of me, but you're choosing this wrong path, choosing this wrong path, choosing this wrong path, and then all of a sudden it comes back on your head, right? That's already been 
in the first part of Proverbs, isn't it? You're laying a net in front of all the birds. You're going to get caught in your own trap. It's the exact thing wisdom is saying here. You have laughed at me. You have scorned me. You have ignored me. Look at what, he, what, what they're guilty of. Verse 24, you refuse to listen. Verse 24, you refuse God's helping hand. Verse 25, you ignored God's counsel. 25, you didn't want anything to do with God, and you have spurned His reproof. Verse 29, you hated knowledge. You chose to not fear the Lord. You think why those first commandments are about our relationship to God? You think why God says most important that I am He, that you don't have idols, that you keep my day, that you worship me alone, that you hold my name? You refused all of those things. You refused my counsel and you despised my reproof. Our God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. Deuteronomy 4, the Lord your God, O Israel, is entering the promised land. Don't forget, O Israel, the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is jealous for you. And so what happens? They get what they've earned. They get what they deserve. We don't necessarily uh, celebrate so much their disaster as we celebrate the triumph of God's justice. You know, every human being longs for God's justice. It, it's fallen in the way we think. But when we say things like, that's not fair, that's not right, we're in a sense saying, as image bearers of God, we care about His justice. And we celebrate God's justice. Remember, this is given to a son, a child that he loves, and it's given to him as warning. Oh, son, this is what will happen if you fail to listen to the word of God. And then here's what they receive. They mocked, they're now mockable, laughable. Terror, calamity, distress comes upon them like a storm. And though you cry out to me, the day is past for your salvation. Important. It's a warning. There is a day coming when you can't, won't be able to cry out anymore. The day coming where every knee will bow. And they will realize, uh, every fool, every mocker will realize, I was dead wrong. And wisdom will say, I cried out to you. I offered my hand to you. I gave the word to you. I gave you time. I sent the prophets. And you refused. That day is gone. And so we close with this wisdom's judgment of the gullible. Verses 31 to 32. Um, and again, think about this for the son. Son, as you go through life and you see those who seem to have everything easy, keep an eye on their ending. Watch. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the tweets. Don't believe what is put out there. Watch for their ending. Learn from it. It says they receive what they gave out, and it's almost like suicidal. They destroyed themselves. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there comes a point in many human beings' lives where they say, I would rather die than say I'm sorry. I would rather die than admit I'm wrong. To me, it would be better to die than to humble myself. And that's exactly what happens. Pride gets such a hold the gospel just seems not to penetrate the heart that says I'm right and I must declare myself right. And even if everyone around me thinks I'm wrong, I am right. And even though uh, the course of their life shows failure after failure after failure, they refuse to repent. And so their judgment comes upon them. They receive what is due. Complacency, that's how it starts being simple-minded, and then purposeful ignorance. I don't want to go there. I don't want to read that. It always makes me feel bad. I don't want to go to that church. They, they have this liturgy where we're supposed to be quiet and repent. I didn't do anything bad this week. I, I don't want to even think about that. That's not, that's not fun. It doesn't make me happy. Complacency. Purposeful ignorance. Mockery. And then outright rebellion against God. They destroy 
themselves. There is no bliss in ignorance of the living God. But even in this text, verse 33, there is a second call to the gospel. We saw it in verse 23, if you turn. Verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread of disaster. Think about that as every human being. Is that not what every human being wants? I would like to dwell secure. Dwell secure. I shouldn't mention this, but I started watching The Walking Dead after Bo told me there was a couple seasons I missed. That's all they want, isn't it? We'd like to dwell secure. Every season is the same. We're going to try to find a place where we can dwell secure. Then the problem is within. Dwell secure, be at ease. Isn't that the promise that the mockers have given? Throw your lot in with us. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. We'll share a common purse. We'll take from those who, who have too much. Lady Wisdom says, turn from your sin. Trust my wisdom in all the areas that I will provide. You'll dwell secure. You'll be at ease. And you will have no dread of disaster. One writer put it this way. Wisdom rejoices in turning the present upside down world right side up. When wisdom overturns folly, righteousness ousts wickedness, knowledge overcomes ignorance, humility topples pride, and life swallows up death. For you this morning, you will give account to the living God for this morning. You'll be held accountable to the living God for this morning. I have, to the best of my ability, presented the gospel to you. Turn from your own wisdom, your own trust in yourself. Turn from that to the living God. Put your faith and trust in Him in all things, in business, in family, in relationships, in life. Put your trust in Him in all things. Enter into a relationship with Him that says, You are a father, I am your child. You will reprove, you will find things, you will lead me in the way, and I will not resist your reproof, your rebuke, and your correction. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that Your Word speaks of Christ even in the Old Testament, even in the Proverbs. For Christ is the Son whom you adore. Christ is the Son who didn't consider equality with you something that he must hold on to, but he emptied himself, your words said, he became like a servant, the perfect, righteous, sinless Son of God, took sin upon himself we might receive the adoption of sons and daughters. Why would we not listen to Him who gave so much? Why would we not fully entrust Him above all other sources of knowledge and wisdom? Help us, Father, with discerning minds to study and apply Your Word, knowing as we approach Your Word, it is Your wisdom, it is Your truth. It is to be believed, it is to be accepted. It is to change the very way we think. Not just what we act, not what we say, or not just how we look like on the outside. The very core of our being. To trust in the wisdom of God. Help us, O oh Father. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. It's interesting that I would talk about mockery because it's one thing I say when we do the Lord's Supper. It's part of the Lord's Supper where I tell people uh, who this table is for. This table is for those who have repented of their sins. It is for those who have humbly said, I receive my salvation from you alone, Jesus. Not you plus my good works, not you plus my baptism. I receive my salvation by faith in what you have done. And I entrust my life to you. We do it every week because I don't know about y'all, but I need to be reminded of it every week. Every week I need to be reminded. It is not about how good I did as a pastor, how good I did as a husband, how good I did as a father. It is about what Christ has done on my behalf.
I need this front and center in my heart so that when the Spirit points out my shortcomings, even this morning, my shortcomings, my failures, I'm not undone. I don't think I can't serve you anymore. I've done this or forgot that. Or No, I need it every moment of the day, and I pray that it is the same for you. Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread before his disciples. He took bread and he broke it, and he said to them, this is my body, it's broken for you. How amazing for his disciples, for him to say, you know that feast that started uh, before Mary was pregnant with me, that feast, that lamb, that unleavened bread, the blood that was sprinkled on the doorpost to protect families from the wrath of God, you know that? That was all about me. It was all about me. And now my body. As Moses gave manna in the wilderness, I give my body enough for you. My body will be broken. And they were shocked at the cross. But of course they would look back and they'd say, no, no, he, this was all purposeful. He was talking about the cross. He was talking about the sacrifice he would make, about the spear plunged in his side. His, his body would be torn asunder. And it was done for us. Not because he failed to convince the Jews. It was done for us. It was done out of love for us, for the family that he would graft into himself. His body was broken. This requires humility. For you to take this bread, you're saying to the world, yourself, your soul, I am not saving myself. I am not enough on my own. I never will be enough on my own. I'm trusting in Christ for everything. And in that same manner, he took the cup, as I do, ministering his name. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. For those of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, this table is for you. For those of you who have yet put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, this table is not for you. Uh, the apostle later on warns the churches and says, people have been coming to the table in an unworthy manner. He said, some of them are sick, some of them have died. Do not mock the living God in this manner. You won't be judged by us, but, but this table is for those who put their trust in Christ. Part of that trust means you accept rebuke, you accept correction. You know that you are not enough on your own. Brothers and sisters, this represents the great news of the gospel. Christ is our Passover lamb, and he has been given for us. Hallelujah. 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 These are the gifts of God for the people of God. I'm going to ask Bo Byers to help serve this morning. This loaf here is regular bread, and the cut pieces are gluten-free. Uh, the yellow is grape juice. The red is real wine. We make our way to the Lord's table up the center aisle. We take all our elements back, and then we partake together. Once Bo and I are in place, feel free to come to the Lord's table. Shed for you, Ricky. God bless you, brother. Christ's blood given for you, Angie. Claire, Christ's blood given for you. Christ's blood given for you, Anna. Sam, Christ's blood shed for you, sister. Travis, Christ's blood given for you, brother. Christ's blood given for you, Jake. Donna, Christ's blood given for you. 
Morgan, Christ's blood, give me for your sister. Corby, Christ's blood, shed for you, brother. Christ's blood shed on your behalf. I bless you. Christ's blood given for you. Blood shed for you. Christ's blood given for you. God bless you. Heather, Christ's blood given for you, sister. God bless you. Taylor, Christ's blood shed for you. AJ, Christ's blood given for you. Levi, Christ's blood shed for you. That's just water. You can put that back. Grab, grab that white. No, grab that white one. Right. I mean that. Yeah, right there. Lynn, Christ's blood given for you. Amanda, good to see you, sister. God's blood given for you. And for you, Jim. God's blessing to you. Pat, Christ's blood shed for you, sister. God bless you. Vanessa, Christ's blood given on your behalf. Dustin, Christ's blood given for you, my brother. Charlotte, Christ's blood given for you, sister. John, his blood shed for you, brother. Thank you, my brother. I enjoyed that this morning, part. Thanks for my brother, Bo, Lord. Thanks for putting us on this path to God. Oh, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us grace. Help us finish well. Finish well. Be good brothers, be good pastors, be good elders, shepherds. Everything seems to go against us, Father. Seems to draw us away. Equip my brother. We know that you're his father. You adore him. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your body. We rest in him. So I'm aware that much of the first part of Proverbs will speak in generalities, will speak in wisdom and say it's there, you know, it's there in the city, it's there in business. And my encouragement to you is, is to use it as I think Solomon intended. It's the guide of how we read the rest of Scripture. When we read the stories in the Old Testament, we say God's wisdom is, is woven through this in the characters, in the responses. He's given us thousands of years of his history of dealing with people. And so, though we speak in generalities in many ways, because the text speaks in generalities, there is specificity in all of the scriptures, especially concerning our Savior. His body given for you, take and eat. His blood shed, take and drink. Stand and sing. and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hope my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his oh how strange and divine I can sing all is mine yet not I but through Christ in me the night is dark but I am not forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley He will lead. Oh, the night has been one and I shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me the 
for the price it has been paid for Jesus fled and suffered for my part and he has raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea oh the chains are released I can sing I am free yet not I but through Christ in me with every breath I hold my hope is only Jesus all the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me when the race is complete still my lips Shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Oh, what a wonderful Savior to save sinners such as us and to call us His children. And that is what we are, the children of God. And now, let us go forth, sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thanks be to God. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you now with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ our Savior, to whom be all glory, majesty, dominion, and all power, now and forever. Amen. Amen.